this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another episode of the in focus podcast i am your host g sampath the israel palestine conflict has turned into a giant humanitarian crisis over the past week with thousands of palestinian civilians including women and children being killed Many of them died when hospitals were bombed. The UN Security Council's attempted resolution uh, to call for a humanitarian pause in the bombing campaign by Israel was blocked by the US and its allies. An international public opinion on this dispute has become sharply polarized into two camps: those defending Israel's right to do whatever it wants to wipe out Hamas. and those calling for an immediate ceasefire humanitarian aid to gaza and a peace process premised on ending the israeli occupation of gaza and west bank we know that this conflict is more than 100 years old and dates back to the 19th century if not earlier so in this episode and from this episode onwards we're bringing you a detailed three part series on the entire conflict with all the background context developments from the beginning till the present day so in this first part of this three part series we trace the origins of this conflict like what was the nature of historical palestine for instance and what was the balfour declaration which many people talk about in the context of this dispute and how exactly did palestine become the chosen homeland for jews from around the world to discuss and explore all these uh, very complicated questions we have with us Stanley Johnny the Hindu's international affairs editor Stanley thank you so much for joining us thank you sambath so stanley uh, to start with uh, i was just wondering if you can just take us back into history what exactly was the nature of palestine to begin with you know how big was it which ethnicities or communities were living there in what proportion of the population who were their rulers can you just take us uh, to the beginning now so sambat what we from i mean if you look at modern history of this region what we refer to palestine is the historical palestine which is what they call the palestinian actors always call from the land uh, to the river by which what they refer to is the area which encompasses modern day israel the occupied west bank and the blockaded gaza and the occupied is jerusalem uh, so this this is the territory which is stretching from the jordan river on the one side to uh, the mediterranean sea on the other side so this was the historical palestine was part of the ottoman empire because the ottomans had expanded uh, across west asia right and the jewish claim Uh, is that and this is also uh, it is related it is intermingled with the biblical story for the jews jerusalem was their holy city and there was this jewish kingdom in bc and uh, uh, you know jewish temple the remains of jewish temple are still there which is the wailing wall jews believe those are the remains of the second temple built by king herod and uh, in uh, ad 70 Uh, actually the romans uh, would come and take over jerusalem the city would fall jews would be dispersed from the modern point of view this the whole region uh, and and ever since you know there were different uh, foreign invasions into the region and from modern point of view uh, 
it, this historical Palestine was part of the Ottoman Empire for centuries. And if you look at the demographic, you know, uh, so a, a portion of Jews have always been there. Jews were dispersed, they were forced to leave, that's true. And Judaism, like any other religion, Judaism spread across, you know, across the world through conversion, uh, social alliances, etc., etc. When we say Jews, Jews are not a homogeneous community, not one ethnicity. And those who came back to Jerusalem were not the descendants of the Jews who were dispersed from the region. So people of all faith were dispersed over the years. So Judaism's history is also the same thing. But certain number of Jews had always stayed there in, in, in and around Jerusalem, in the larger sense in historical Palestine. For example, when the Ottomans uh, took over the region, uh, you know, in 16th century, there were roughly 5,000 Jews uh, in uh, Palestine compared to some 295,000 non-Jews. When I say non-Jews, uh, you know, it involves Christians, uh, it involves Arab Muslims, it involves Druze, etc., etc. And then you can see uh, until the collapse of the Ottoman Empire, uh, which was in 1980, after the First World War, so the Jewish population would only increase in historical Palestine. Uh, the reason was also because uh, starting the 19th century, Jews would start their alayah, their migration, what they call their reverse migration back to Palestine. And they did it because of the persecution they were suffering, mainly in Europe. So we are talking about European Jews because Theodore Hazel wrote his famous pamphlet, uh, The Judenstadt, The Jewish State, the founder of Zionism, in which he articulated the point that to ensure the safety of Jews, you need a national homeland for the Jewish people. And then he encouraged the Jewish migration. Then the global Zionist movements would be set up, global Zionist organizations and federation would be set up, and they would encourage Jews to migrate from Europe to Palestine and buy land and set up communities. So you can see that from, let's say, from early 16th century to 1918, uh, until the end of the First World War, Jewish population would increase from 5,000 to 60,000. So at the end of the First World War, you had 60,000 Jews in Palestine and some 600,000 uh, non-Jewish people, mostly Arab uh, Christians and Muslims, Arab Muslims and Christians. Uh, so this this is the demographic, demography, and also uh, this has been until the end of the until the end of the First World War, Palestine, what we call historical Palestine was part of the Ottoman Empire. So I have seen many people saying that there was no Palestine uh, at all. Palestine doesn't exist because, uh, you know, the, there is no nation state called Palestine. That's what the argument is. What they overlook is that the idea of a modern state was born uh, mainly because of, especially in the colonized territories, mainly during the decolonization period. You know, India as a modern republic was born in uh, 1947. That doesn't mean there was no India prior to that, right? And also, if you look at the Ottoman Empire, it was it had spread across the region. So Syria was part of the Ottoman Empire. Lebanon was part of the Ottoman Empire. Uh, and uh, uh, even Arabia, Ottomans had indirect control over the Arabian Peninsula. So after the collapse of the Ottoman Empire, you can see nationalist movements emerging in all these countries. And they, they became independent in the subsequent years, some of them before the Second World War and most of them after the Second World War. Here in the case of Palestine, 
the decolonization process never happened because Palestine was there, historical Palestine was there. It was part of the Ottoman Empire. The Ottomans fell. Uh, after the collapse of the Ottoman Empire, Palestine became a British colony. So two documents I can suggest. One is the Balfour Declaration and the other is the League of Nations Mandate. Stanley, uh, before we go to the Balfour Declaration, I just wanted uh, to just uh, pause for a couple of things. One is you are saying by the end of the First uh, World War or by the end of the Ottoman Empire, in terms of demographics, there were uh, 60,000 Jews and 600,000 non-Jews. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So that means like a ratio of 1 is to 10. Yeah. Okay. And secondly, uh, this migration of uh, Jews from different parts of the world, especially from Europe because of uh, anti-Semitic uh, activities, uh, back to Jerusalem because that's where uh, they wanted to uh, have a homeland. They felt safe. This migration, did it uh, predate or did it start after the Zionist movement? Like when did the Zionist movement uh, come up and this entire Aliyah thing happened? It happened in early, no, yeah, early 19th century. Uh, it was part of the Zionist movement. It was after the large-scale migration. Isolated migration might have happened earlier, but large-scale migration uh, happened after the Zionist movement was born, after Theodore Herzl wrote his pamphlet, after the Zionist organizations were formed, because they uh, found that uh, the Jew, I mean, uh, a national homeland for the Jewish people was a Zionist promise. So, uh, so they and. That is one thing. And secondly, they also wanted to flee persecution in Europe. This is, we are talking about pre-Hitler Europe. Even then, Brazil found that Jews were treated as second-class citizens. There were systemic discriminations against the Jewish people, which actually goes back in centuries. Right? During the Black Death, Jews were blamed for the plague and were massacred in city centers in many European capitals. Uh, so uh, there was this centuries old systemic discrimination against Jews. And uh, Hazel wanted a homeland, but Hazel was not saying at that time that Palestine should be the homeland. There were different proposals, different proposals and different ideas. But of course, they were considering Palestine as one of their, uh, uh, you know, locations. And But they wanted to go to Ottoman Palestine because Jews were able to buy land in Ottoman Palestine and then start living there. Uh, right, Stanley, just, just quickly on this question of uh, uh, Jewish uh, migration back to Palestine and, and, and setting up of, you know, establishing settlements there. I just wanted to clarify, on, there is one uh, stream, uh, let us say, where uh, Jews are, are going back because they wanted a safe place to be able to live there and, uh, you know, just live out their lives uh, the way, uh, like other... Uh, uh, demographics in that region have been living there, you know, whatever, do your thing and so on. And then there is uh, the stream of Zionism, which seems to be a slightly different uh, approach to the whole uh, migration and settlement thing, where wh how, what is it about Zionism that sets it apart from someone just escaping persecution to a safe place? Is there, is there some element of exclusivity uh, of, you know, of, of, of setting up an ethnocentric state uh, which distinguishes Zionism from a general G Jewish uh, reach for a safe place? See, I think here these two elements were part of the migration or the Zionist promise because the Zionist promise is that you want a national homeland for the Jewish people. And then secondly, Zionists themselves funded 
the migration of the Jewish people from Europe to historical Palestine. So they did both. So for them, migration, or even in modern sense, you can see the settlements mushrooming in the West Bank, right? Jews from Israel proper to West Bank, and then they are settling up, setting up communities. So for them, settlement was, you know, it predated the creation of the uh, national homeland for the Jewish people. So this both elements were part of the project. One, you escape from persecution. You move to a place that would offer you security and live in relatively, uh, you know, better peaceful conditions. Two, and then eventually in the future, you strive towards attaining your most important political goal, which is to get a homeland for the Jewish people. I think both were part of these were two pillars of the Zionist movement in the 19th century. Right. And then uh, you were uh, going to talk about the Balfour uh, Declaration and the League of Nations uh, document when I stopped you. Can you please uh, elaborate? Yeah, what, what I was trying to say was that when, I mean, we, we, we see a lot of, uh, you know, commentaries, video uh, interviews in which people say there was no Palestine, you know, because Palestine as a nation state didn't exist at all. To which I, I just explained the decolonization process. That is one thing. And then secondly, if you want documented evidence, if you want to see maps and papers, there were two papers which were, you know, one of the most important documents of early 20th century. One was the 1917 Balfour Declaration, which means in 1917, when the war was still on, the First World War was going on, Sir Arthur Balfour, the British Foreign Secretary, issued a declaration saying that the British government, His Majesty's government, supports in Palestine, you should look at the language, it was written by the British, it's their mother tongue, supports the creation of a national homeland for the Jewish people in Palestine. That's what the language is used. And they are referring, basically they are referring to the region from the Mediterranean Sea to the Jordan River. And then again, uh, in 1918, after the war, Palestine would become a British colony. And then again, the, it became a British colony because the British got the League of Nations mandate. And if you look, what is, the title of the mandate is the mandate for Palestine. You can go and read the whole text. It is available in which it is being repeated throughout the text, what the British can do, what they cannot do, how they are going to set up an administrative order in Palestine. So it was widely seen, perceived as Palestine. And the tragedy of Palestine is that it could not decolonize itself. It could not become an independent modern country. And that is what the Palestinians have been trying for, but that didn't happen. That didn't happen mainly because uh, by the time the British vacated, the British colonial rule came to an end in 1948, uh, uh, a day, day before the colonial rule uh, came to an end, uh, the Zionists had declared the state of Israel. Uh, which was in 1948 May. Uh, then it became an Israel-Palestine problem. So this is the reason, uh, this, you know, an independent Palestine was not created. It hasn't been created yet. Uh, but you see, well, I mean, there was this historical Palestine and the state of Israel came up within the boundaries of the historical Palestine. This is a historical fact. Right. So, are you then saying that uh, the Palestinian, uh, the population of Palestine, so to speak, uh, went from being uh, under the colonial rule of the British uh, and uh, to being under the uh, colonial rule 
or the attempted colonial rule of the Israeli state, which was founded the same time as the British left. So, uh, okay, if you look at the history, when the state of Israel was formed, which was in 1948. So Israel was created within the boundaries of historical Palestine, right? Because before that, there was a UN commission and the UN commission came up with a partition plan. As per the partition plan, historical Palestine would be divided into three. An Arab state, a Jewish state, and Jerusalem to remain an international city. Jerusalem is important, critical for all three Abrahamic faiths, because you have the Al-Aqsa Mosque, you have the Church of Holy Sepulchre, and you have the Wailing Wall. Everything is in the old city. So, uh, those who wrote the UN partition plan wanted Jerusalem to remain independent of the Jewish and the Palestinian uh, the, the Jewish and the Arab states. So when did this UN partitioning uh, plan come into uh, existence? After the Second World War, must be 1945 or 1946. I'm not sure about the exact year, but after the Second World War. So this was in place even, uh, even before the Israeli state became uh, founded? Yes, yes. This was be- this was before the Israeli state was founded. And who were who the parties, uh, so, sorry Stanley, just to get the sequence clear, who are the parties... Uh, to the League of uh, Nations mandate, this mandate, how did that come about? Who were the parties to that? So, League of Nations mandate came up in 1918 after the First World War because if you look at at what happened before the First World War, the British did three things. The British were at that time the most powerful country, right? They were also winning the war and they wanted the support of the Jews across Europe in favor of their war effort, and in Palestine against the Ottomans. They also wanted the support of uh, Arabs against the Ottomans in the Arabian territory. right? And what the British did was that they issued the Balfour Declaration in 1917, saying that the government would support a Jewish homeland in Palestine, by which they were trying to drum up support of the Jews across Europe and in Palestine. And at the same time, the British diplomat McMahon, the same person who drew the McMahon line, who he sent letters to the Sharif Hussein of Mecca, saying that if the Arabs supported the British against the Ottomans, once the war is over, the British would support Arab independence. By which he wanted to ensure the Sharif Sharif Hussein's support against the Ottomans in the Arabian Peninsula. And by doing this, what the British and the French did, they reached a secret agreement, Sykes-Picot Agreement, According to which, they said that if they win the war, they will divide the region between themselves. You know, this is a great colonial game. They made two contrasting promises to Arabs and Jews, and then the colonial masters reached an agreement for themselves to divide up the region. So once the war was over, the British wanted Palestine. They wanted um, Transjordan. And uh, uh, the, the, the French got Syria and the French got Libya. And they had promised something to Sharif Hussain, and then Sharif Hussain eventually they would give Transjordan, basically uh, the eastern bank of Jordan, Jordan River, which became the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan today. They gave Jordan to Sharif Hussain. So the British did some kind of you know uh, adjustments, but practically after the war they wanted to keep Palestine for themselves, and they did that. And League of Nations was formed. The British at that time were very powerful, and the British won the war. The French uh, were a British ally. So they also supported the mandate because the French got, as, as part of the League of Nations mandate, the French got modern-day Lebanon and Syria and the British got Palestine. 
this is what happened. But then during the interwar period, you can see that in Europe, the persecution of Jews would go to horrible, horrible levels under the Nazis and the fascists. And the Jewish migration would also pick up pace, which means if you had 60,000 Jews in Palestine in 1918, at the end of the First World War, in 1945, at the end of the Second World War, the Jewish population in Palestine would become 543,000. Uh, you know, it is mainly because of this. And the British would also encourage the Jewish migration because they had already promised uh, to support the creation of a Palestinian uh, a Jewish state in Palestine. So Jews were migrating and uh, you know there was international opinion was also generally sympathetic towards the Jews because of the Holocaust uh, and, and other uh, you know horrible things the Jewish people had to go through in Europe. Right? So after the Second World War you had a sizable population of uh, Jewish community in Palestine and you know they, they were called Yeshuvu and they had also a provisional administration, which was called the Jewish Agency. And Ben-Gurion, Israel's first prime minister, was the leader of the Jewish Agency. And the Jewish demand was, by that time, there was, it became the, you know, settler community, Zionists. It became a nationalist movement now, by 1945. And they were asking the British to let us declare the state of Israel inside Palestine. So there was this Arab nationalist movement as well on the other side because the Arabs wanted the whole of Palestine to be free of the British colonial rule. So you have two contrasting nationalisms already by the time of the Second World War. That would lead to the creation of Israel because I was talking about the UN partition plan. The Jews would accept the UN partition plan. Arabs wouldn't. Why? Because the Arabs said that they don't want to divide their country. Interestingly, Nehru had taken the similar line Nehru had opposed the partition of Palestine, saying that after um, independence, Nehru was saying that we went through partition and I'm not going to, we are not going to support the partition of Palestine. So he wanted a single state for the Jewish people as well as the Arab people. But then, you know, the UN partition plan would collapse because it would never go to the UN Security Council because of the opposition, mainly from the Arab countries. Uh, and then before the uh, uh, British mandate uh, vacated, Israel would unilaterally go ahead declaring uh, the formation of the State of Israel in 1948, which would lead to the first Arab-Israel war. Right. So, Stanley, uh, that's a very interesting and detailed uh, account of the events between the First World War and the founding of the State of Israel. I just had one uh, interesting uh, uh, thing to ask you. When you said that uh, in, in preceding the Balfour Declaration, the British uh, colonial uh, rule, rulers were motivated uh, by a desire to get the Jews across Europe to support them in the war effort. I mean, they are a small population. They are not ruling any particular country. Why was the support of the Jews so important for the British war effort? No, the Jewish uh, community by that time in several European countries, very, the Jewish organization were very powerful. The Jewish uh, Federation was the Zionist Federation was there. Uh, the, it was also very influential, highly influential, and in many countries they were uh, they were rich. Uh, and also you had a sizable, uh, you know, by that time you had a sizable Jewish population in Palestine. They also wanted to make sure that they support the war against the Ottomans uh, in Palestine. They also wanted to support that, uh, make sure that their support 
in Germany against the Germans in favor of uh, uh, in favor of France and Britain. So basically, the British were trying to create. I mean, internally, they were trying to make sure that they have the support of the Jewish people and weaken their opponents. Could be, I mean, their opponents means Germany, the Imperial Germany, Austria-Hungary, or the Ottoman Empire. So this was their calculus. So and also, you know, migration alaya was going on, and uh, uh, the British said that, uh, yeah, I mean, we will we will support your movement, we will support your nationalist movement. Uh, so I think this is what uh, this is how it worked. So they wanted to make sure they get Jewish support in these countries. Uh, in favor of their war efforts, and by which their calculation was that it would weaken their rivals, mainly Germany, Austria, Hungary, and the Ottomans. Right. So you, I mean, you have given a, a very detailed uh, uh, explanation of of the geographical uh, side of things in terms of Palestine historically and also in the modern times. Stanley, thank you for that. But I was also wondering in terms of. Uh, ethnicity and, and and so on like is there anything which distinguishes uh, the arabs from this region uh, as palestinian arabs uh, is there, is there, or is it more of a cultural uh, identity like uh, like there is we know that there is an arab solidarity for the arabs of palestine across the region but there is also is there also a distinct palestinian uh, identity uh, which perhaps is linked to uh, a Palestinian nationalism or nationalistic efforts in an anti-colonial struggle. Was there much of that uh, in this period we are talking about? Yes, yes, there is a clear Palestinian national movement, Palestinian national identity. If you are talking about ethnicity, they are Arabs, the indigenous people of uh, Palestine. And you, I mean, if you go and check, you know, you check different phases of history of the Palestinian region. The Greeks called it Philistia. The Romans called it Palestinia. Uh, and the Ottomans called it Palestine. Even in Bible, in uh, New Testament, it's called those who are living in the region. The indigenous people are called, the non-Jewish people are called uh, Philistines uh, in Bible. Uh, so the people living in the region are basically in this geography, you know, uh, between the river and the sea, in and around Jerusalem, uh, they have historically been called Palestinians or Philistines, whatever you call them, right? The, the word Philistine has a different meaning today, of course. Uh, I mean, I didn't realize that they were. it was sort of, uh, in terms of origin, etymologically linked to this region. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, under the Ottoman Empire, they were they were all part of the Sultan's subjects. And after the collapse of the Ottoman Empire, you can see nationalist movements coming up in within the Palestinian territories, which is the same in other countries as well, right? Because if you look at the Arab world, ethnic, ethnicity is Arab. It is from Algeria to Saudi Arabia, from the UAE to Sudan. Everybody is Arab. If you look at the Arab, their ethnic identity. But at the same time, you see different nationalisms within geographies, limited geographies. The same goes uh, with the Palestinians as well. Because you see, in 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 the after the collapse of the Ottoman Empire, there is this Palestinian national movement coming up within historical Palestinian territories. But then, what happens after Israel capture after Israel was formed, and in the first Arab-Israel war, some seven hundred Palestinians would be forced out of their homes. This is what the Palestinians call Nakba. 
700,000 Palestinians, 7 lakhs Palestinians immediately became refugees. Many of them would go to Gaza, today's Gaza. Some of them would go to other countries such as Jordan, uh, Syria. So they continue to host Palestinian, Palestinian refugees. And then you have the state of Israel now within the boundaries of the historical Palestine. So what will happen in 1948, the rest of the Palestinian territories were taken up by Jordan and Egypt. For example, Egypt would take Gaza and the Jordanians would take Transjordan. Uh, sorry, West Bank. Then it becomes Transjordan. So the Jordanians would take uh, West Bank. West Bank means basically the western bank of the Jordan River as well as eastern Jerusalem. So uh, if the UN partition, according to the UN partition plan, there was geographical contiguity between Gaza and the West Bank, right? And Jerusalem to remain an international city. But in the 1948 war, Israel would capture some 22% more territories than what the UN partition plan had proposed. So now there is no geographical contiguity between Gaza and the West Bank and the western half of Jerusalem is now with Israel. It has been with Israel from 1948. So Israel became a bigger country than what even the UN partition plan had proposed in 1948 itself. And the Jordanians would take the West Bank and the Egyptians would take Gaza. So Palestine, as we knew, historical Palestine is now splintered between three countries. You have Israel proper, you have the Egyptians, and you have uh, uh, the West Bank with the Jordanians. West Bank and East Jerusalem with the Jordanians. And what, what will happen in 1967 is that Israel would take over all these territories. And But by that time, by the 1960s, you have the PLO. You have a solid Palestinian national movement. Right, Stanley, we will, uh, uh, sorry to cut you short, we will come back to uh, the 1960s, uh, maybe in our second part of this series. Before we uh, conclude this one, I wanted to just ask you one final question. So, you let's stop at 1948 for now. And uh, with, the, with the proclamation of the State of Israel, I was just curious, I mean, this is a new country uh, born amidst a lot of uh, hostility in a difficult time. And yet, uh, it managed to be immediately recognized by the two superpowers uh, of the time, both the U.S. and the Soviet Union. I mean, how did that happen? Like, uh, isn't that like, I mean, I find that quite amazing. I mean, if you try to sort of situate that in today's context, a new tiny country being immediately recognized by the biggest powers. You know, so what was the factors at play back in that time that made this possible, uh, you know, right then? And there? whereas the arrest Arab uh, side of things did not really get much attraction, as it were. I think the main reason was that there was this overwhelming international public opinion in favor of the Jewish people at that time, which was understandable given what the Jews had to go through. And, you know, we are talking about the early stage of the Cold War, 1948. Uh, Korean War hasn't broken out yet. So there was some kind of cooperation still going on between the Americans and the Soviets. Uh, and both of them, the winners of the World War II, they had a favorable view towards the Jewish people. Uh, so I think they, so I mean, there was, there, was an, there was a consensus after the war that a Jewish national home has to be formed. But where it has to be formed or how it has to be formed, there was no consensus. Because as far as we know, Different territories had been considered, including Argentina and some say parts of Africa where Israel has to be formed. So there were different debates going on about the formation of Israel. 
for the Jewish people, basically a homeland for the Jewish people. Because this is predominantly a European problem, right? The Jewish persecution took place in Europe. Jews were kicked out of Europe. They were massacred in Europe by European leadership. So they wanted to find a solution for which they they considered different locations. But you had a Zionist movement that is rooted in Palestine. And they went ahead declaring the state of Palestine. So from the point of view of the world's leaders at that time was that they wanted a solution. Now Israeli state has been declared anyway. So we have to immediately recognize the state of Israel. And that's what they did. And once the two pillars of the new world order at that time, the United States as well as the Soviet Union, offered formal recognition, quick formal recognition to the state of Israel, other countries just followed suit, including India, which initially opposed the partition of India. India recognized the state of Israel, though we didn't uh, establish full diplomatic relations for decades. Right. I mean, that's, uh, that was quite a comprehensive uh, account of the initial period of this conflict. Stanley, uh, really appreciate that. I think in this episode, you've covered uh, the, the entire history from the beginning till 1948. And for those who are listening in, uh, I'd like to say that we will be going uh, further from this point, 1948, uh, till the present day in part two uh, of this series. And in the third series, we will get it get into more detail about the present uh, nature of the conflict and the wider uh, geopolitical uh, factors at play. Thank you so much, uh, Stanley, for joining us and for this uh, really insightful explanatory talk that you've had. Uh, thank you so much. Hopefully, we'll meet again for part two tomorrow or the day after. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you, Sambat. See you soon. In Focus, we'll be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.